I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail, Hamilton is up against current title holder Whanganui for this year's Most Beautiful City Award. If your reaction to that is, what? You're not the only one. Yeah, well I have to be honest and admit that was my first reaction when I heard it was up for Most Beautiful City as well. Uh, so I thought I'd come down here for a week and on a bit of a writing retreat um, and have a good look around for myself. Bill Mackay is an expert in New Zealand's architectural history, a senior lecturer at the University of Auckland. He went to the Tron to finish off his PhD without distractions but found plenty of them. Now he says this river-facing city deserves to be a candidate for the beautiful title. So I took the Waikato Expressway to see if he could convince me that, in his words... This river city really is more than you expect. I guess that depends on what you expect. I think even a couple of years ago, um, we'd drive down here looking for a place to have a drink and it was all a, a little bit booze barn and that kind of thing. And young Hamiltonians haven't in the past exactly offered ringing endorsements. Oh. A bit of a hole, kind of cheap. Yeah. It's supposed to be living in Auckland. It's not one of those cities where everyone knows everyone, but, you know, it's, it's a right place. I hate Hamilton, honestly. Nothing to do. Bit of a cow town. It's not much to do here, but it's a good location to get everywhere else. Okay, so the big box shopping complexes sucking the life out of the inner city, the empty shops on the main street, the determination to ignore the fact that the beautiful Waikato River borders the city, not really ticking the boxes for great town planning. But Bill Mackay thinks Hamilton is turning around, literally turning to face the river, with laneways, public spaces and cafes built to face the views, and a new theatre aiming to be opened in 2022. It's halfway there. <laughs> but um, you've got to admit that um, they are making the right moves now. It's tried all sorts of things. It was uh, the Fountain City, I think, for a little while there. Come on, I don't associate it with fountains. Um, but the mighty Waikato, I mean, so cities need to make the most of their environmental assets, uh, their people, their culture, their heritage, all of those sorts of things, if they're going to survive. Hamilton's the perfect big town base for escaping to the mountain, the beach, the surf, the bush, anywhere that's not Hamilton. But other than a statue of Richard O'Brien as riffraff, what does the city itself offer residents? There's lots of trees and parks and the river and the gardens. Hamilton's like a real beautiful place. I think Hamilton's gorgeous. Love the gardens. Ah, the gardens. That's Hamilton Gardens. The best thing about Hamilton by a distance of about a million miles. International Garden of the Year in 2014. It's only got better since then. 44 hectares of continual development. I think really, and I'm undermining my faith in the new urbanism abroad in Hamilton here, but really I think um, the gardens, the Hamilton gardens are fantastic, like a national scale attraction. So that's where I headed to catch up with the gardens director, Peter Sergal, in the new surrealist garden where towering animatronic ivy-covered statues wave. The brick path curls upwards and a giant door makes you feel like Alice in Wonderland. It is part of a, a wider concept for the gardens where we've got a, a whole lot of gardens, eventually hopefully about 36 
that have all the major garden types through history. Mm. So right from the ancient world and the Silk Route and the medieval Renaissance periods, Age of Empires and things, all those different kinds of gardens. Gardens can really tell you a lot about the communities that made them, about their, their philosophies and place in history. So it's a perpetual work in progress. Not history, yeah. yeah. So whenever you talk about Hamilton and you say, what is there to see there? This is 100% the number one thing on people's list. It almost outdoes the city. I think we're better known overseas than, than Hamilton City itself. Really? Yeah, yeah. How, would, how would Hamilton Gardens be placed internationally? Well, I'm, I'm a poor judge, <laughs> but we have got an international award, in, International Garden of the Year, and I think what um, appealed to the judges wasn't what's here so much, it was the overall concept that, right. that's quite unique. Yeah, because yeah. it's not like a sort of a botanic garden where you, you know, just wander around and look at the plants. It's yeah, well, we've got plants, we've got sculptures, but rather than just collections of things, they're all related to the story we're telling, story of gardens, story of civilization. Really. Is that what makes it so magical? So, Well, it, it does create a, a big variety of types of gardens, so there's usually something someone likes, but it also adds all those other dimensions, so you don't have to be interested in gardens or plants. There can be other things that interest you from, from having a concept like that. And one of the criticisms of the way Hamilton has grown up is that it's turned its back on the river, but this garden has always made a feature of the river. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. Most of the gar- a number of the gardens have good views of the river. We've always got this, this uh, challenge of a lot of the riverbanks are quite steep, so they have to have good vegetation cover, otherwise they just collapse. And that does block some views. But it does make it very pleasant from the river itself. You can float through the river and almost be unaware you're in the middle of a city. Yeah, yeah and, and it's on practically State Highway 1, isn't it? So oh, the gardens, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What sort of, how many visitors do you get a year? Well, we know for the enclosed gardens we get 440,000, count that accurately. Harder to count the gardens as a whole because there's all sorts of entrances, but we, we're pretty confident it's over a million. How exciting is it to be an integral part of this? Would you ever want to do anything else? <laughs> no, I no, wouldn't want to stop. Um, but it, it has been a project that's involved a lot of the community. It, it really is a feature of the gardens that it wasn't... Uh, really driven by council. It was driven by the community. Like, for example, the Chinese and the Indian gardens? That's right. There's different communities of interest. We had a lot of fundraising trusts, raised a lot of money. And uh, it's still being funded by a targeted rate, which no one really objected to. It was a wow. $10 targeted rate going up to $20 a year, and uh, locals seem to be happy with that. So clearly the council recognises that this is something fantastic for Hamilton. I think it's growing recognition. It, it does play an important role in the reputation of the city and, and in terms of the economic benefit of the tourism. And is it the only thing in Hamilton, though? Oh, definitely not, no. <laughs> what else no. do you do when you're not here? Well, I'm familiar with most of the things. Uh, you know, this Tiawa River ride is going to be fantastic, going all the way from Narawaki to Karapira, which the gardens will be part of, and so will the local museum. We've got a good museum, fantastic zoo. There, there is a lot, lot to see around here. Rich, a place of richness. It is, yeah. So would you back Bill Mackay's stance that this could be the most beautiful oh, I'm totally biased, city? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favourite part of this garden? Oh, it's always the next garden we're developing. Yeah. yeah. At the moment, that's an ancient Egyptian one. There are four new gardens under development. The Egyptian one, a Pacifica garden, which will be enclosed under glass, a medieval garden and a Baroque garden. We've got a fantastic growing climate, uh, so that isn't a limitation. There is a limitation on some of the plants we just can't import and, and use that we'd like to. 
Intensive bio um, but, um, rules. But, yeah, most plants we can grow. We're just having a problem with the ancient Egyptian garden. We can't grow date palms and things, but, but a lot of the plants they did use, we can, we can use. That's the, the tropical element. It's not particularly tropical in Hamilton. No, no. no. <laughs> I love this one we're going through at the moment because, because what's it called, this one? This is the Tudor garden. But it looks like Harry Potter's garden. <laughs> it's like you could play Quidditch here. Well, well yeah, and there's <laughs> t- uh, figures of mythical beasts and things. And they all fit into the well, well, Gryffindor. And... Uh, the Tudors had these uh, figures on poles that they're really fond of with, with coats of arms. And there's no surviving Tudor gardens. And the restorations we're aware of, none of them have used these poles, but they were a very distinctive feature of Tudor plants. The, the green and white stripes, which are Tudor sort of branding, and the, and the coats of arms. And then the figures for all of these ones are um, mythical beasts. So you have to be a historian as well, as a gardener. A lot of research involved. Yeah. yeah. What about the little folly over there, the little building, is it? Uh, yeah, well, while no gardens exist, there is, that's a copy of the pavilion that survived and, and this Elizabethan wall here. Is it very difficult to, like, who comes up with the ideas? Is it all you, or do you have a team, or do you have really smart cookies to put the hand up and say, let's do this? Oh, the coming up with the ideas is the easy bit. We've got a, a whole lot of skilled people who are, are very good at um, making that a reality. And then it's the putting it into place that's more difficult. Yeah. Do the people have to jump through hoops to get their concepts approved? No, we, because we've got a, an overall concept, then everything can flow from that. The story of gardens. Right. And then if you're doing a historic garden like that Tudor garden then it's a matter of research to, to have the right solutions. Right, so it's not just you know, like you don't decide, like, oh, here's a spare patch of land we've got, we'll just throw something in there. Oh, no, no, it's more there, to there it. is that over plan. Yeah. And have you got much land left? Like, how much more expansion could you do? Oh, we, well, we've got four gardens under development, and eventually we'd like to develop another 12. Wow, so... You've got plenty of acreage. <laughs> there, there is space, yes. Yeah. Well, we... One of the problems we have is just the... Managing the capacity at peak times, the place just gets clogged up yeah. with people, with traffic, particularly in parking. And uh, we're just struggling to cope with those, those numbers on those peak days. Isn't it? Now we're walking through now, can you describe... The, this is the concept garden. So okay. it's, it's really an extension of concept art. It's a movement in North America and uh, Europe where a garden isn't necessarily functional or beautiful. It's sort of based around providing a message. So what's the message in subterranean lemon trees? <laughs> um, oh, there's, there's two whakatoki, one up there that talks about man dominating the landscape and these are really representatives of squares on a land use map of, of, of New Zealand. Like this one in front of us is horticulture, tussock grassland, coniferous forest over there and, and other aspects to that. And the other whakatoki on the, uh, the steel structure over there that will eventually rust away more or less says that in time nature will win. Right. But who gets the lemons? Uh, we use these and, and the um, Seville oranges in the Renaissance garden and make marmalade and I think there's lemon curd from this one um, with, with honey from hives in the gardens. Oh, wow. And we sell those in the information centre. Fantastic. So, so it's quite a nice memento of the garden. Yeah. I don't think I've been to this one before. Is this a new one? This is fairly new, yes. Yeah. But this was done opened at the same time as the... Um, Huddleston airship. Ah, so didn't, this didn't see that one. No. So where are we heading now? There's a huge mural of. Oh wow! 
This is a, a, one of our newest bits of gardening equipment. We can prune high trees and deliver things to these enclosed gardens. It's this um, floating balloon. Seriously, does it float? No, it's well, you can see it's wobbling away. Okay. And, and then it has a steam engine that drives that propeller, which you can change the direction of. That really works. No. <laughs> well, you can believe what you no. like. <laughs> Okay, well, what we're looking at is, it's a steampunk. It thing. is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it really does, it does really float, and it's tethered to the bank. It's a boat. I think I need to take a picture of this, too. Peter Sergal holds the keys to all the secret doors in the gardens, so he gave me a behind-the-scenes look at the fabulous new Catherine Mansfield Garden, which has had more than 40 companies supporting it. It features the front of a house of her era, a tennis court, vintage car, and what looks like a fully laid out tea party and a quartet of instruments. People keep telling us that the piano's going to get wrecked outside. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a secret. I'll, I'll shake you down and show you okay. what they really like. These are the instruments that people keep telling us are going to be damaged outside. But if you um, touch them, you'll... Made of concrete. Oh my goodness! And that the music art. sheet is made of fiberglass, and then the cello is made of uh, bronze. That really is fantastic. Between 30 and 40 percent of the garden's visitors are usually international, but since the borders closed, domestic tourism has more than made up for that. The gardens were busier last month than the same time last year. But Peter Sergal says if you think this is the only thing going for the city, you're underestimating Hamilton. I've met quite a lot of people who have come from other parts of New Zealand and mm-hmm. saying they only came to Hamilton because of their career and you really didn't want to come. And saying now that they're here, they'd never want to leave. You know, they, right. I think when people live here, they change their perception of the place. So Hamilton has an undeserved Yeah. Reputation. Well, we're, we're quite good at keeping things secret. We make people drive at the moment all through the sort of areas of Frankton and Kaikatea Drive and things, the least attractive parts of the city. So if you're just passing through, um, you, you don't get a very good impression of the place. But that's good. We keep other people away. Back to Bill Mackay again, who spent our coffee break trying to think of the second to fifth best things about Hamilton. Number two would be take me to the river. Um, and I, I think that's you know the change in direction where they've turned around and they're connecting with the river and making the most of their you know, the, the big environmental asset that they've got. And it is an asset, isn't it? It's not a creek like the Avon. Well, it's... It's a, it's a mighty... Well, yeah. And really, kind of, um, we shouldn't think of cities as purely kind of built structures. You know, they're the integration of the kind of the natural world and the, the, the urbanised, the built. So, so far, the expert architect has told me the first two attractions about the Hamilton are... <laughs> Natural. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Number three. Well, number number three, and we can see it from here, is the police station, which is. I'm one of that ugly grey thing. Yeah. It's a concrete box. Yeah. And it does look like the kind of place you definitely don't want to go into because you've got a good chance of not coming out again, doesn't it? It certainly looks like it's made to be escape-proof. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's an example of the kind of architecture. Yeah, so that's, that's the, um, the kind of uh, 
late modernism that we call brutalism, and there's a, there's a bit of it around in uh, Hamilton. It has its own attraction, obviously. It's an acquired taste. OK. <laughs> OK, that's one, two and three, four. And then number four, I think, would, uh, and you can see it in the main street again, is the heritage character, the Victorian and Edwardian buildings that are still here. And, you know... Well, a lot of them with for lease signs on them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, what we need to do is convert them into residential. Um, and the other thing about older buildings is that it's easy, if you're a young person, it's easy to start a business because they're cheap to rent upstairs. You don't mind that there's no lift in there, that kind of thing. So, And they might um, be a little bit crumbling around the edges. Yeah, but they, they can be good for the economy. Yeah. Whereas kind of like if I'm in Auckland and I'm starting a business, where am I going to find cheap floor area? Right. Auckland's all about, you know, big towers for accountants and lawyers and that sort of thing. And number five? It's not a big city. (laughs) (laughs) And eventually he gets to it. Number five is the cluster of railway houses built in the 1920s and the factory they were built in. But Bill Mackay says a big factor in Hamilton's future development will be the contribution being made by Tainui. The iwi all throughout New Zealand in the post-settlement period are going to be big contributors to local economies and urban and kind of environmental development because they're, they're far-sighted. They have different values. They're not just in it for the quick buck. Um, they're thinking about their people. They're thinking about uh, everyone. Uh, they're thinking about the environment. So they're kind of a lot more focused on sustainable uh, development. That's good for everyone. Bringing culture back to Hamilton. And that's the other thing. Um, so, um, you know, what... What is it that we have in New Zealand that's unique and it's Maori people and the Maori culture? Do you think Hamilton, though, will ever rid itself of its kind of bogan reputation? <laughs> um, I um, certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> is it getting there? Yeah, I think it would also um, benefit, you know, I like Waikato University because it's a, a big collection of modernist buildings. Lots of brutalism there as well, as well as some good contemporary stuff. But I think Hamilton could really benefit from having more students in town. So it's got Wintech here as well, the local polytech. Um, but kind of like uh, a bit of youth and diversity in town is always quite good as well. Not just kind of like uh, rural farmers coming in to see their accountants and lawyers. And do you think it's going to benefit from the you know, ridiculous house prices in Auckland? Yeah, I think it will. And um, I've, I've bumped into a few graduates from our architecture school here and, and they own houses, you know, which is <laughs> something over the rainbow in Auckland yeah. for anyone in their 20s. And don't say the city doesn't have culture. We're standing next to a second-hand bookshop, and that was open at 10 o'clock last night. Bought a couple of books there, so you can't tell me that they're um, uncultured or unsophisticated if they've got a second-hand bookshop that's open late at night. If you were judging the most beautiful city, Mm. what would you take into account? Um, I... I think it's about livability. You know, that's the buzzword that you hear um, everyone trumping now. 
these days. But it's more about kind of like what it is like to actually live there and experience the place than it, what it looks like as you might drive through or anything like no, that. It's no like longer that. just a visual thing. Yeah, so I don't like the word kind of like beautiful. It just conjures flowers. There are a few small towns that you drive through where they're hanging little planters off the verandas, but really, you know, what's that doing for your quality of life? As I took a walk along the riverbank that afternoon across one of the three city bridges and through the well-kept War Memorial Park, it didn't take much imagination to think that quality of life here could be good indeed. Hamilton's a good example of a city heading in the right direction. Um, because all our cities and towns are suffering from sprawl as the big box developments on the outskirts of, of town damage the main streets. And I think it's almost like in the 20th century we lived in suburbs and we worked in town. Now it's almost can be the other way around where we downsize into town, we live a more sustainable lifestyle where we're close to where we go uh, work, study, shop, play, eat that sort of thing. Does it worry you that with all councils being cash-strapped in mm. this economy that this that could stop, that progression could stop? Yeah, but it's also a positive investment in the future. Um, you know, making something, and that's something that Auckland's Queen Street is not doing at the moment. I mean, it doesn't look attractive, it doesn't look inviting. It may be COVID-safe, but it looks like, kind of, with the concrete blocks and the road cones, it looks like it's an anti-terror operation. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sharon Brick-Kelly. Thanks to Bill Mackay and Peter Sergal. Ka kite anō.